Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Now many of you know that we've been in a series that we have uh, entitled Jesus Misunderstood. Knowing that there were so many ways that he himself was misunderstood, we understand, we get what it means to be misunderstood. I've been misunderstood in my life uh, often, uh, sometimes because of uh, my own method of communication. And uh, I, I think about one time in my life when I was very misunderstood. Years ago, our church used to do drama uh, a lot. On, on our Sunday and our Sunday services. And I, at the time, I was kind of the leader of the drama team. And one Sunday, we were scheduled uh, that I would actually do three monologues. And so it was one of those kind of dramatic presentations where I would be a character and then I would deliver and then I would turn my back for just a moment and pause. And then I'd come back as a totally different person, different character. Well, the third character that day in the monologue was a man whose life had just fallen apart. Uh, he, he had lost his job, and his wife had left him with their kids, with their three kids. And so I present this dramatic monologue and, you know, exit the stage, and Pastor Kurt, who was lead pastor, then came up and brought a message about, you know, overcoming difficulties in life. Well, later that week, um, I think on Tuesday, one of uh, an elderly gentleman in our church uh, came up to the church looking for me. And he, he said, Joe, I, I need to ask you something. I was just over at this other person's house, and he was so heartbroken that your wife had left you with the kids. And I said, what? What? He said, yeah, he said, I wasn't there Sunday, so I didn't, I didn't hear when you stood up and told about it. I said, brother, that, that was a drama. Uh, I was just, I was acting. That didn't really happen. Later that week, I got a sympathy card from one of our senior adult ladies who was just heartbroken that my wife had left me. Well, I have to go home and tell Kathy this. And, you know, Kathy's response was, are those, have they lost their minds? You know, I, I might leave you, but I'm not leaving my kids. That, that was kind of comforting. The, <laughs> but, you know, not only was I misunderstood, my wife was misunderstood. Sometimes those misunderstandings can create incredible, just incredible confusion. Well, Jesus' life and his ministry was no different. Very, very often he was misunderstood when he walked this earth today. Jesus is still so very misunderstood. And Jesus knew that. He knew it was going to happen. And so there were moments in his life and his ministry when he would make very clear, very concise statements about who he was and what he came to do. And the gospel writer John records many of those statements. There are several of them, actually seven that we know of that we call the great I am statements of Jesus. And we've been looking at those. Today we look at two of them in John chapter 10. So if you want to grab your Bible and begin finding your way there, uh, we're actually going to see kind of two of those great I am statements. We're going to focus really on on one of them today. And, And this time Jesus is not... He's not telling us so much about who he is, although he's doing that, or what he came to do, although he's doing that. But this I am statement, really Jesus is giving us incredible insight into how he feels about us. He, he, he's going to be talking really from his heart. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of give you the context for John chapter 10. It's really just a continuation of the action of John, John chapter 9 that really shouldn't have been a chapter break there in Joe's opinion. Uh, I, I encourage you to go back and read John chapter 9 later today. But Jesus, it's the record of Jesus having an encounter with a man who's born blind, who becomes a beggar, and Jesus miraculously restores his sight. And then uh, uh, a short time later, the beggar and and Jesus are confronted by the leaders of Israel and they show up and they have nothing but disdain for this beggar and they have nothing but hate for Jesus. 
They, they literally throw the, the beggar out, uh, uh, really excommunicating him from, from faith, and they set out intended to kill Jesus. Now, the main chapters, uh, the, the main characters in chapter 9 are these leaders of Israel. There, Jesus calls them the false shepherds. They're, they're there devouring and kind of fleecing God's people. In contrast, in chapter 10, we, we, we see over in chapter 10 who's there, and it's the disciples of Jesus. It's those same Pharisees from chapter 9. It's also this, this beggar who was blind but now can see uh, the rest of the crowd that had gathered around, uh, the, the Jews, and then Jesus. And Jesus sets out in John 10 to, to contrast himself and how he feels about God's people he tries to contrast himself differently than the Pharisees. If you've got your Bibles there in John chapter 10, let's read verses 1 through 15 together. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was trying to say. Verse 7, so Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Now the, 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 the picture here this, of, of the shepherd, this great word picture is really so much more. And this story can kind of stand on its own because it would be so very familiar to those populating Jerusalem and Judea in, in, in that region. They understood, because their whole culture was agrarian, they understood this, the shepherd and, and, and flock relationship. And they also, they know enough of the Old Testament to, to know that God himself presented himself as a shepherd. They understood both the temporal, earthly aspects of shepherding, as well as kind of the, the illustration of how God cares for his people as shepherds. They would be familiar with all the great Old Testament uh, saints, if you would, uh, knowing that Abraham was a shepherd and Isaac was a shepherd, Jacob was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd who tended his father-in-law's flocks. Their great king, King David, had been a shepherd boy. They would know of the courage and the patient love for a flock that a shepherd had to have. But the most well-known shepherd in the Old Testament was God himself. As Emmett Hicks read to us earlier uh, from Psalm 23, he, it, it starts by saying, the Lord is our what? The Lord's our shepherd. Psalm 77, 20 tells us that God, you led your people like a flock. Psalm 79, 13 says, we're, we're your people. We're the sheep of your pasture. We give thanks to you. You're our good shepherd. Psalm chapter 80, verse 1 says, Listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock. 
And then Psalm 95 says this, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. It, it points to this shepherding relationship that was very, very intimate. And this is really the very first, what I'll call the essential feature of Jesus becoming the shepherd of our soul. For Jesus to become the shepherd of your soul, you have to first see that Jesus intimately knows his sheep. He intimately knows us. John 10, verse 14 and 15 says this, I know my own. Jesus said that. He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I know my own. Sometimes it's a little easier to get the point if, if you can kind of have a, a picture in, in your mind, for, especially for those of us who are, you know, kind of visual learners. Years ago, I read a, a little book called The Lord, Our Shepherd. It was by a Scottish man named uh, Doug, Douglas McMillian, and he, uh, excuse me, Douglas McMillan, and he was, um, he had been a shepherd who uh, later heard God call him into the ministry and became a, a great minister in, in Scotland, a professor uh, in seminary there. Now, in his book, he shared many stories and illustrations. I read his book. I read some other writings. Uh, actually listened to some messages that he, he spoke, and he would refer to his time as, as a shepherd. And he wrote about them from mostly good memories, but he did not pull any punches when he was uh, kind of displaying the reality of sheep. He talked often about how dumb sheep were, how sheep would follow each other even like off a cliff, uh, whereas other animals wouldn't do anything like that. He, he said, you know, when they get lost and you go looking for them and you finally find them, they panic. It, they, they don't come running up saying, oh, master, master, we're glad you found them. No, they, they just kind of run in a tizzy. It was one of the reasons they were such easy prey when they, they, they panic. They're just so defenseless and weak and, and helpless, uh, probably more so than most any other animal. And so what's the point Jesus is making by comparing us to sheep? What's he doing? Well, the truth is uh, us, all of us, all of humanity, we're spiritually helpless. We're not self-sufficient. We're completely dependent let me see if I can illustrate that with a non-religious uh, kind of illustration. A couple of examples. First of all, uh, pointing out how dependent we are. We're really dependent uh, in our understanding of, of life. Um, we're continually overestimating our capabilities and we're underestimating our, our capabilities. We're, we're, we constantly make decisions that end up being bad or wrong decisions. And we, we know this about ourselves. We're self-aware uh, on, on this issue because all of us do this. Let me see if I can describe it this way. Our today self, your, your present today self, will look back at your yesterday self you're, you're kind of your past self, maybe 10 years ago, and, and think, man, back then I was a, I was a moron. Um, in, in, in the vernacular of Reba McIntyre, I was a moron. That's the way she says it. I always enjoyed that. And, and, but you look back, your present self, your today self, looks back at your yesterday self, and you think, I was so naive. I, was, I, I didn't have understanding. I was, I was so silly. Your today self always kinds of thinks of your yesterday self kind of that way. But here's another part of this reality. Your tomorrow self will eventually look at your today self and think the same thing. Ten years from now, your tomorrow self will be looking back at your today self and thinking, man, I, I thought I had it all together. I thought I knew just everything that I needed to know. But man, I blew it along the way. I, I didn't know it all. And, and Jesus knows this. Jesus, the Bible tells us he knows our frailty. He knows our, our weakness, our, our, our emotional weakness, our, 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 just our, our, our psychological frailty. In other words, Jesus kind of understands. He gets our sheepness. Macmillan, writing about this, he, he would talk about what happens when a sheep would go astray and what he would have to do and how in their panic mode, you know, just running to and fro, and he's got to catch them and take them back into safety. And so he would have to manhandle them, literally kind of have to tackle them, 
hold them down, bind their, 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 their rear uh, feet and legs, bind their, their forelegs together so that he could pick them up, put them over his shoulder, and carry them back. Because they, when they get like that, they would not follow him. It, it, it didn't come easy to get them, them back. And just like that, we're kind of dependent in our understanding. A second way that we're dependent in is in our own self-perception, our ability to really perceive everything right about ourselves. You know, in our day, it's typical to hear people say something like, you shouldn't, shouldn't worry about what others say about you. You know, what other people think about you or, or say about you doesn't matter. Only, only what you think about yourself. Now, that line of thinking has some merit. But when you carry it out to its farthest extreme, it breaks down and can, can actually cause harm. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I want you to tell me if you think this person, or maybe tell somebody that you're with if you think this person has a healthy self-perception. Imagine a songwriter. This person who has decided I'm I'm vocationally a songwriter. And they tell you, I've shared my songs with probably 3,000 people. And every single one of those 3,000 people hated my songs. They told me they made no sense. They were just kind of dumb. They were really, really bad. Nobody's ever actually bought one of my songs. They, they tell me, you need to find another vocation. But I think it doesn't matter what they think. I think I'm a great songwriter. Now, would you say that that person is, is self-aware or that they're kind of walking on the edge of maybe insanity? You know, I, I know that's maybe an extreme illustration or, or case, but here's what the point is. The point is, none of us can bless ourselves. You know, we can't just stand in the mirror and say, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, and, and make ourselves beautiful. You can't bless yourself. You can't give yourself a, a, an identity. Somebody from the outside of you has to help you form a, a, an identity, Somebody from the outside of you has to to bless you so that you can get your identity. You can't do it yourself, which means you are completely dependent on someone else. Now, your, your whole being really is going to end up eventually resting on somebody or some bodies. Now, they may be critics. You know, it may be parents, it may be somebody that you hope to marry or somebody that, that you're married to. But here's the deal, like sheep, We're all completely dependent on some shepherd, if you would, to give us identity. And the truth is, you're a sheep in this capacity. I'm a sheep in this capacity. We're we're all sheep in this capacity. We're spiritually, emotionally, even psychologically, just on our own, we're, we're impotent. We have no power. And see, Jesus knows this. He knows this about us. And he he doesn't just know it about humanity as a whole. He knows it about you. You individually. He knows your own personal sheep qualities. And we see this in individuals that Jesus encounters. Uh, In John chapter 1, Jesus uh, is beginning to call disciples unto himself. And he has just met Nathanael because Philip brought him to to Jesus. And Nathanael is having, and Jesus are having this conversation. And and Jesus tells Nathanael some things about himself that Nathanael doesn't understand how Jesus would know. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 48, Nathanael says, how do you know about me? And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Before anybody really had you, I I knew you, Nathaniel. I knew about you. Just a few chapters further into the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, we see Jesus in another encounter with a Samaritan woman at at a well. She and Jesus begin entering this dialogue, and eventually in the conversation, Jesus says, why don't you go get your husband so we can have more conversation? And she says, I don't have a husband. And the woman told Jesus this, and Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. See, Jesus Jesus comes to you just like he came to those two. He says, I understand. I understand your, your life. I understand what's going on. I, I get the, the insecurity, the, how, how you are really underneath. 
I see beneath maybe your swagger or your bravado, I see the sheep that you really are. How insecure, how totally dependent. I've seen every dumb thing you've ever done. And not only that, I see down into your heart all the dumb things that you think. Jesus, Jesus says, I know you. I know sheep. I know my sheep. I know everything about you from, from the bottom to the top. That's the kind of shepherd that I am, Jesus says. And he wants us to know that. And friends, what this is really about, this is about the doctrine of sin. Jesus knows our sin. And it's the first thing you, that you need to know about Jesus. If he's going to truly become the good shepherd of your soul, you, you've got to understand that he really, truly knows you. He knows our weakness as well. In John 6, we read this. No one, Jesus says, is capable to, able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. You, you can't even really pursue and want Jesus unless God opens your heart and mind. In Acts chapter 17, uh, we read this, that God, he himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every need for in him we live and move and exist. Everything about us is tied up, dependent on the grace and mercy of God. We're completely dependent. And you gotta know that Jesus knows completely knows his sheep, he knows you. A second kind of essential feature, if Jesus has become the shepherd of your soul, is you've gotta to come to understand that Jesus deeply values his sheep. Now that's an incredible thought when you think about our first thought, which is Jesus really, really knows. You know, it, I, I've had someone tell me, more than one someone tell me, that if my spouse ever really knew all the thoughts I've had, they'd leave me. They would completely re reject me. Let me just say something kind of, call it vulnerable, open for a moment. And I think really any minister, any pastor who would be honest with you would say this. If you, if you knew what thoughts pass through our minds throughout the week, I dare say you'd never show up for a, another sermon again. See, Jesus understands our brokenness, but Jesus values us greatly. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know, I know you from the bottom to the top, inside out, good, bad, ugly, all of that. But I lay down my life for you. Look back at verses 11 through 13. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I hope you see that picture. First of all, it says, you know, there's these, this weird thing that they're saying about sheep that they're, you know, they're totally helpless. But then we, we, we see this. The second thing that Jesus is saying about sheep is they're valuable. In fact, in reality, in Jesus' day, sheep were one of the most valuable of all animals. And that's the reason it, it wasn't unusual or unheard of for a shepherd to leave 99 sheep to go looking for that one lost sheep. It's also the reason when Jesus talks about the sheepfold, that, that pen where all the, all the different shepherds would bring all their sheep to watch them overnight, that there would be people who would climb over the walls of the sheepfold and literally steal sheep because the sheep was so valuable. Pound for pound, they were one of the most valuable animals you can have in Jesus' day. So to shepherds, they were really their, their treasure. And here's Jesus is saying, he's, he's contrasting himself with a hired hand. Remember he says, the, the hired hand, they're, they're only in it for, for the money. And Jesus says, not me. And what Jesus is saying here is, it, it actually goes way beyond the, this image. You know, as much as you might love sheep or, or as much as you might love any animal and, and, and try to get close to it, there, there's always this limit. I know some, some 
some real animal lovers. Uh, they're a part of our church. Um, and, and, you know, they do just about anything that they could for their, their pet. But I don't know anybody who, if their pet fell into uh, a hot, flaming furnace, you know, they might weep, they might wail, they might cry, but I don't know anybody who'd jump in after them. See, Jesus says when, when the wolves come, they're, they're, the people that are in it for, just for the money, they're out of here. And, and, and at this point, this metaphor that Jesus uses gets really, really deep. And our English language really has a hard time kind of translating it concisely. Because what Jesus is saying is, I love the sheep so much that when the wolves come, I become a lamb myself. Where the scripture said a moment ago, we read it, that Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. The, the, the English language, the translation there, uh, the way that it comes across, Jesus is actually using a kind of a, in, in the original language, a, a particular preposition that means in the place of, in, instead of. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm the shepherd who becomes a sacrificial lamb. I, I'm the shepherd when the wolf comes, I, I would lose anything rather than lose one of my sheep. I, Jesus says, I'd lose my life, I'd lose my glory, I'd, I'd lose the universe before I, I see my sheep perish. Friends, that's amazing. This is how amazing the Son of God is and what he's saying when he says, I'm a shepherd and you're a sheep. Now, I know the first point wasn't very flattering. It was kind of insulting that we're, you know, pretty incompetent. But the second point is how much he values us. We're, we're his treasure. He owns everything in the world, the Bible tells us. He owns everything in the, in the universe, the, the planets, the, the, the stars, every solar system. He owns all the gold, all the wealth. He owns everything. But then Jesus says, but my heart is bound up with you so that I'm ready to die for you. He did die for you. Isaiah 53 tells us a little bit about what the experience was on Jesus' way to the cross. In Isaiah 53, we read this. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't make a fuss about having to die for us. Isaiah 53 tells us the experience. But Psalm 22 tells us something about his heart, about what he was thinking when he was on the cross. In Psalm 22, we know that Jesus, uh, excuse me, when Jesus was on the cross being crucified, we know that he quotes from Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1, Jesus says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus quotes that from the cross. But that psalm goes on to, to say some even more just incredible things, some, some painful things, some things about great suffering. And when you get down to verses 16 through 18 of Psalm 22, it tells us this, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he, he knew. I believe he was even thinking about Psalm 22. And he knew the wolves were, were coming. And, and he's saying, I, I'm dying for, for my lambs. Friends, I don't know of a stronger statement about human dignity, a stronger affirmation about a person's value than to hear this. Jesus Christ looks into our hearts. He, he looks at us from bottom to top. He, he scans us completely, if you would. He knows everything about you, and he says there is nothing more infinitely precious to him than you. See, the Bible points to numerous reasons why Jesus went to the cross it was to satisfy the holiness and the justice of God, which demanded a perfect sacrifice. But what we're seeing here in John 10 is the heart of God, the compassion of God, the emotion of God. We, we see Jesus telling us that there's something of such infinite worth and value that he's so attracted to you that he would die for you. 
You and I, when we, when we look in the mirror of our soul, we look deep down. Oftentimes, like me, you probably think, why would anybody, much less the Son of God, why would anybody die for me? And truthfully, the Bible says that Jesus can look even deeper in your soul than you can. And what he sees is the son of, or the daughter of a king. He, he sees who he made you to be. There's never been a stronger statement in the Bible about the incredible value. And it's so strange that it comes right after this statement that talks about our total incompetence. And here's what this gets to, friends. It gets to the heart of the gospel. This, this is the gospel story. And, and here's the deal. Until you are willing to see how truly needy you are, you will never see how valuable you are to God. You'll never see how, how much you mean to him until you begin to really see how incompetent, how sinful, how broken you are. There's one, one more feature there's this feature that you need to understand he intimately knows you. There's this feature of he's going to become the shepherd of your soul. That you gotta know how much he deeply values you and will sacrifice his life for you. That's, that, that's two things. That's the, the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of atonement. Jesus says, I die for my sheep. I, I lay my life down for my sheep. But here's the third deal that you really need to grab hold of is that Jesus then perfectly provides for his sheep. See, because he'll die for us, he, because he'll die for us, he earns the right to be our shepherd. And then he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. We read it a moment ago, John 10, verse 3. It says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hears his voice, his, their shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Jesus leads them out, he says, about his sheep. Now, it's very important to realize something. Kind of in Western culture of shepherding, Western shepherds would drive their sheep. They would use dogs, and they would kind of push their sheep from, from behind. Eastern shepherds led their sheep from the front and the reason that Jesus doesn't say he drove them out, the reason he says he leads them out is because he's going in front of them. And what this is saying really is, first of all, when you believe in Jesus, he's going to be right there with you. He's going to be walking beside you. Jesus doesn't, you know, unfold a map and give it to you and say, here, follow this. Here's the treasure map. If, you can, if you're smart enough to follow the map and find the treasure, well, you're in the club. You know, he's not just sitting on the porch watching you make wrong decisions, you know. Ah, oh, I don't know how this one's going to turn out. That's not Jesus. Jesus walks with you. He actually leads you beside you. The Bible says that when we come to Christ, when we trust Jesus as our own good shepherd, personally do that. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And I hope you get that. It didn't say that some of God's children are led. If you are a child of God, you are going to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, what this means is that no matter what you do, he's right there with you. Whether you make, uh, you know, whether you blow it, he's going to be there with you. See, he, he, he didn't give you a map. He gave you himself, his, his life. And so it means if you make really wise, good decisions, well, Fine. And if you really make some really poor, bad decisions, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to even weave those into his loving plan for you. Man, I hope, you, I hope you're captured by that. I hope, I hope that just blows your mind even, that he's there to turn, you know, even your worst mistakes into something beautiful. See, he put something beautiful in you when he created you. Not only is he your redeemer, he was your creator, and so he's able to lead us out, out of the mess we find ourselves in. In John 10, 3, he says he, 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 he leads us, but it also says this, that he calls his own sheep by name. This good shepherd calls his own sheep by name. Now, truthfully, I don't have any real firsthand experience 
with sheep, other than maybe having gone to the fair and seen them running around and do a sheep rodeo or something like that. Well, anything that I've come to understand about sheep, I've had to research and, and read about. And one of the things that consistently that um, those who kind of study this, especially uh, commentators, will tell you is that it really is true that sheep know the voice of their shepherd. In fact, this morning I put a little two-minute video on Realm that's just really, really cool of uh, three students, it was kind of like a field trip, three students are, go up to the fence to call the sheep, they will not come. But as soon as the shepherd walks up to the fence and starts making his call, they immediately lift their heads, look at him, and then run at him. It's just, it's, it's incredible. And all the commentators said that that's a, that's a common experience. Sheep knows the voice of their shepherd. But here's what was not common, was that a shepherd had a name, an individual name for every sheep. And Jesus basically says when he comes up to the pen, he doesn't just give out a, you know, some kind of call or yell and, and they all come running. You know, in a sheepfold, there would have been not just one flock, but maybe let's say five or six flocks, you know, families of sheep, if you would. And so when the shepherd would come up, they'd give their call, the, the sheep would come. But what Jesus is saying is, and this was really unprecedented, Jesus was saying that he'd come up to the pen and he would call his sheep by name, you know, on Prancer, on Dancer, on, I, I don't know what he would say, you know, but he would call his sheep by name and, and because he's a good shepherd and they would know him and he would know them. See, this is something that God's word tells us over and over and over again. In the Bible, a name is more than just a, a, a label. A, a name lays status or significance on us. Uh, you may recall in Genesis chapter 11, there was this time that uh, a group of people set out to build this great tower. They want it to be known, it, it says. Um, and when you read in Genesis chapter 11 about it, although it ended up being a fiasco, it says that their motivation was so that they could make a name for themselves. See, we all seek significance. And truly, the only way to really get it is by letting God name you. So often in the scripture, we see God giving a new name to someone based on the assignment, the, the, the kingdom call that God had for them, the new purpose. When God came to Abram and God changed his mission in life, he, he named him Abraham because he was going to be the father of many nations. When Simon's mission was changed in his life when he encountered Jesus, Jesus gave him this new name, Peter, because he was gonna be the rock of faith. For so many of his brothers, when the apostle, when, when, when the literary murderer Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus gave him a new name to go with his new assignment. He would be called Paul. See, a name helps point to your distinctiveness. The, the Bible says when you come to Jesus, when you determine that you're going to follow him, Jesus gives you a new identity. Jesus gives you this new name, a new, new identity. And what that means is that in relationship with him, you will finally get what your heart has always been looking for because he perfectly provides for the greatest needs of a sheep. And, and it's from him. And, and you know, if, if you don't look to him, if you don't look to Jesus for this, you're gonna be looking somewhere else. You're gonna to continue to let others. If Jesus is not gonna give you your identity and, and name you, somebody else is going to. And although they may love you, they're, they're still incapable of fully giving you everything you need, a full identity, because they're broken too. They're, they're, they're broken by their sin too. They're marred by their sin. They're ne they'll never be able to give you everything you want. Your spouse can't, your, your kids can't, your parents can't, your pastor can't. Nobody can do that but Jesus. Only Jesus can give you the identity that you're looking for. So when you, when you come to him, when you follow him, you'll, you'll find a particular name that he will give to you. And it's, it'll be revealed over, over time what God is making you to become. In Isaiah 62, verse 2, we read this. The nations 
will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory and you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. That was speaking of God's people. In Revelation chapter two, verse 17, Jesus himself says to everyone who is victorious, I will give a new name. You know how, you, how you're victorious? You follow Jesus. That's where the victory comes for our lives. See, Jesus wants to give you a, a new identity, a, a new name that points to work that really matters for all eternity, to point you to the particular people that God wants you to touch. If he's gonna become the shepherd of your soul, the first thing you get to see is he knows you intimately. The second thing that you've got to understand is that he, he values you deeply, so very, very much. And the third thing that you need to see is that he, he wants to, to give to you what you most desire. And when you, when you step into those, then Jesus can be your good shepherd. Jesus can be the good shepherd that you need, the, the leader who names you as his own, who gives you that, that new identity, giving you what you've been looking for all of your life at the deepest point of your life. So how does that play out practically? What, what do you do? How do you respond to this? How, how do you receive him? How do you take him in to be your, your good shepherd of your soul? Well, first of all, for that to happen, for Jesus to become your good shepherd, it happens when you will follow him wholly, completely, if you would. You make him your Lord, your master, the, the one that you most want to please in every area of your life. You seek to, to make him your shepherding king, if you would, to make him this, the, the, uh, the king who shepherds your soul so that there's not every, any area of your life that you're holding back from him. See, sheep needed a shepherd for every aspect of their life. They needed the shepherd to bind up their wounds, to heal them. They needed a shepherd to provide for them. They needed a shepherd to feed them. They needed a shepherd to protect them. Now, as this takes place in your life over a lifetime, you know, we, we see that. But here's what happens. Most of us, when we first come to Jesus, we come to him because a certain area of our life has kind of blown up. You know, maybe we come to Jesus and saying, hey, I'd like for you to fix this. Maybe our career is blown up and we're saying, Jesus, I need your help over here. But Jesus, this is off limits. Jesus, I need your help in my career, but my love life is off limits. Others come and say, hey, hey Jesus, my love life, my marriage is a, is a mess. Would you come help me, help me fix my, my marriage? But Jesus, my finances, uh, my, my work, you know, th those, those things are off limits. Friends, when you come to Jesus, you gotta come, you gotta come all in. You gotta come holy. Jesus says, if I'm gonna be your shepherd of your soul, you gotta be all in. Our relationship will not make a difference if you're not. You gotta completely follow me. You gotta trust me with every area of your life. Paul writing to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 says this, for at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who Jesus is. You need to see him that way, to follow him wholly and completely. He'll never be able to do all that that shepherd that you desperately need to do until you follow him wholly. Secondly, for Jesus to become your, your good shepherd of your soul, you've got to follow him unreservedly. You, you got to follow him with no, no strings attached. I remember part of what Mr. McMillan said about finding lost sheep that you must, you kind of got to get rough with them. You got to seize them. You got to put them on the ground. You got to bind their legs before you can ever pick them up and carry them to that safe place. You know, when you read that great story, in Luke chapter 15. We love those, those stories that Jesus gave us in Luke 15 about the lost coin and the lost son and, and the lost sheep. And we see the, 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 the shepherd leaving the 99 and going and finding the one. And it says he, he lifts the sheep up and puts him on his shoulder and he, he goes back rejoicing. And, and we read that and it's very sweet. But we realize now 
there was something that took place before the shepherd was able to carry this, this little sheep, this lost one to safety. He had to, he had to wrestle him to the ground. He had to hold him down before he could ever rejoice and carry him, carry him back to that place of protection. See, I think Jesus is saying there are going to be times when in your life when you're thinking, shepherd, what's going on? You're going to say, look at the things that are happening to me right now. And I, I think some of you may be there today. You're saying, you know, if I had a good shepherd, this would never happen to me. But Jesus, who's the shepherd king, Jesus says, don't forget you're a sheep. And you have limited understanding of what's going on. See, so often the loving shepherd, what he has to do to bring the sheep home in order to save its life, the sheep don't understand it. The sheep don't get it in the moment. The sheep says, what's going on? I've been hurt. I, 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 can't, I can't go on. Why is the shepherd being so rough? Why isn't the shepherd doing something? You know, if, if that's you right now, what you need to hear Jesus say today is you don't, don't follow me just wholly, just completely, but you, you, gotta, you gotta be, you can't hold anything back, even in the difficult times. You've got to follow me unconditionally, unreservedly, without any strings attached. That means when it's terrible and it looks confusing and, and life may look awful, follow me. Because you're sheep, you can't see everything, but I'm the good shepherd and I will lead you. I will take you where you need to go. Obey me, listen to me, trust me, stick with me. I know that's hard to see, but that's what Jesus is calling on all of us. Lastly, Jesus will become your good shepherd, the shepherd of your soul, when you follow him relationally. When you follow him relationally. See, the reason that Jesus identified himself as a shepherd is because he wants a personal relationship. You know, every, every founder of every other major world religion died and then had left you some teaching when, when they, they passed on so that you could follow their teaching. Jesus was the shepherd who was struck down dead, but who was raised from death. He wants you to live in a raised relationship with him. He wants to have a relationship with you. Friends, it's, it's not an accident that the 23rd Psalm that Emmett read to us earlier starts out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. See, he, he's a shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He, he restores my soul. That's what a shepherd does. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. What, what's happening here? It goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, my life, it just overflows. Friends, what's happening here is the the sheep are becoming the friend of the shepherd. In fact, Jesus is a shepherd. He, he, he's the shepherd who became a sheep so that a sheep could become his friends. Jesus Christ was the great one reigning in heaven who became a little lamb so that we broken little incompetent lambs could become great ones. He doesn't just want you to be a sheep. He wants you to become his friend. We see that movement in the 23rd Psalm. He pours himself out. He pours out his love on you lavishly. See, he, he wants you to, 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 to see how unbelievable it is that this great shepherd would value you so much just as you are that he throws all caution to the wind. He just loves you with everything he has, with everything he is, so that you could dwell with him in his house, the house of the Lord. You could dwell with him forever.
That's who Jesus is. He wants to be your good shepherd. He wants to be that door that opens life for you. Will you let him? Let's pray. Jesus, we we come to you now. We come giving thanks for who you are, that you look at our frailty, you look at our brokenness, and yet you see great value. You value us, Jesus. Thank you. And thank you that not only do you value us so, but you want to add value to our lives. You want to give us a new identity, a new hope, a new lease on life. You want to give us a a, a pathway to be with you, to walk with you now and to dwell with you forever. Jesus, we come. Some of us need to come this morning for the very first time saying I am broken. I realize my own inadequacy, my own insufficiency. I realize my sin that keeps me separated from God and I don't want to live there anymore. Jesus, I see now that you value me so I run to you, Jesus. I come to you. I receive you as my good shepherd. If you've never done that, you can do that right now. You can just cry out to him, I need you, good shepherd. I need you to come. I need you to give me a new name, a new identity, a new life to pursue. I come. Jesus, I've heard your call in your word today. I see how incredible you are, how great your love is, that you would leave the 99 and you would come to find me. Jesus, I see how lavish your love is, how what would look like to the world, how reckless it is. God, you just pour it out, Jesus. Thank you that you love me that way. I receive you now as my shepherd king. I receive you that way, Jesus. I choose to give myself to you wholly, un- unreservedly. I just, I, I, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. Maybe... You made that decision years ago and you need to to re-up. Maybe you've kind of taken some things back and you need to give it back to Jesus, the good shepherd, the only one who can give you what your heart desires the most. Will you follow him? Will you come after him as you've heard his voice this day? Jesus, we come now to worship you. We come now to receive you as our shepherd, king, We recommit ourselves to you, to follow you. We thank you for your incredible love and we worship you now. It's in your name we pray, amen.